Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome to those in the room and those of you online. We are continuing our series on the road and I've been watching you guys on social media and y'all are taking a bunch of road trips. So my question is, it seems to be we're in two parties. If some of you like road trips, some of you choose to not be in the car with your family for that long. So let's see hands. Who likes road trip? Raise your hand. Okay, quite a few of you guys actually. I do love a road trip, especially if you're going somewhere nice and cool like Colorado, right? So, um, but here's my struggle with road trips is my husband is a little bit of a control freak and he will not let me drive y'all like not even five minutes. No, he's like behind the wheel. It can be 20, <laughs> Donnie's laughing. Donnie's like, I know why. Um, okay, so my whole set, everybody will say, yes, Mary's a little bit of a crazy driver. They're in here, I can't lie about it. I just like to get places fast. I'm, I'm just always, this is me all the time, full speed ahead. So he will not let me drive like zero at all. And um, it's become a little bit of contentious. So for our 30th anniversary, we wanted to go somewhere really fun and different. It was our 30th anniversary. So we decided to go to Scotland. I don't know if you guys have ever been before, but it's beautiful. It rains a lot. So you get a lot of green pastures, a lot of fun things. We had researched. We were looking for all of these great things to do. And I picked all of these great castles, all of this stuff that I thought would be so fun to do. Derek was all on board. We get there, we go to two. And he goes, okay, I'm done with the castles. All right, anybody can relate. He's an architect. I'm like, don't you love this? He's like, no, I'm ready to go do something outside, do something a lot more fun. So he said, I want to go do falconry. Does anybody in here know what falconry is? Raise your hand. Let's see. Okay, there's like 10. Yeah, that was me. I was like, I don't, what is it? And how long is it going to take? And how many castles am I not going to get to go to? So what I found out is falconry is handling or hunting with a trained bird and its wild habitat. And guess what? It's not just falcons. I don't know why they call it falconry, but it's all birds of prey. So it could be hawks, it could be eagles, it can be owls, it could be anything. That is a bird of prey that they catch their prey with their claws. That's what that is. And so we looked online, we booked a place that we were going to drive a few hours out in the country, and we were going to get to do this this falconry. So she says, you can both do it. And when they're saying do it, they mean they're going to put on that big glove. Y'all, it goes all the way up your arm and you're going to catch them on your arm. You're going to give them some food. They open their hands and, or you can watch for free. I said, I'll be watching for free. Thank you very much. So it was fun. I wanted to watch and let him be a part of that. So the first part of the tour, you walk up and they have a whole bunch of birds there and you start learning about birds of prey and what they are and why they're different and all the things that they can do. So although this is what she said, many birds hunt for food and eat meat, the daytime hunters, so this is a little bit different, they can swoop down and attack with their claws. Those are called birds of prey or raptors. If you've been to the zoo, they call them that at the zoo. They're suburb hunters. They're, they're incredible hunters and they have much sharper eyesight than humans. So most of them can see for miles and they kind of memorize the landscape and they can see a mouse or um, whatever it is, their prey that they might be looking for. So 
the trainer began our day. Derek was hoping for the eagle, right? That like, he's like, I want to hold the eagle. That's all he wanted to do. So the trainer said, we're going to start with the owl. Oh, okay. So we walk over and she puts, tells Derek put the big glove on, puts the food in his hand and the owl flies up on his hand. And she begins telling us about the owl. Now, if you like me and you grew up with nursery rhymes and all of that, I thought owls were really smart. How about you, the wise old owls? We've heard this all of our lives. Spoiler alert, they're not smart at all. And she began to tell us how you know how intelligent a bird is, is by how much onboard equipment or assistance that God has given them to stay alive. So... She said, the owl, you don't know, you've probably seen a little bit of this. They can turn their heads 270 degrees. And as that owl's huge. It was like two feet up on Derek's arm. And they had these clear eyes. It's almost like they're looking through you. It's really crazy looking. And if they are a barn owl, so if you have a barn, you want one of these, they can fly silently. You don't even hear their feathers moving. And they can catch a mouse and eat it whole. And she said they eat up to about a thousand a year. I said, is that just crazy? So they're they're really have a lot of onboard equipment to help them function. And she says to stay alive. She said like it, they've done experiments with even crows and birds that they don't think are that smart. And she said the owls can't even do what the crows can do. So they're not the smartest. So then we went up to the falcon. So she's telling us all this stuff about the falcon, and they can fly faster than any living creature on the earth. Land, air, swimming, they are the fastest. She says they can fly incredibly fast. So it was Derek's turn, so he put that glove on. She blew the whistle, and the falcon came. God has given them this onboard equipment to be able to function and do things in life. So recently, I had to get a new car. My car died. I had this car for 10 years. I loved my Murano, but the headlights weren't working so good anymore. There was all kinds of problems with it. It was going to cost more to fix it. So as we started looking for a car, my husband was really excited about this. And he said, just like the birds of prey, we're going to find you a vehicle with all kinds of onboard equipment to really help you be safe. We have a new grandbaby, so I'm like, I get you. So I got a new Ford Explorer. And y'all, the new equipment on these cars, mine was 10 years old, so it really had nothing. But now, the car, if a car gets too close, like it turns, the, this happened to me this morning, it turns the cruise off. I'm like, why am I going 50 on the highway? If you're getting close to a car, it just starts. I'm like, well, tell me to change lanes. It didn't tell me. It just slowed down. But it has alerts and beeps. It will even parallel park itself. We haven't tried that yet. Um, but the newer the cars are, the more equipment that they're going to have. So Derek said, this is, this is the one for you. I don't know what he did. I think he went in and like ramped everything up that you have to have more mileage and um, between you and the other cars because it's all adjustable. But the crazy thing is when you look back over cars in time, there's one piece of equipment that's been in cars almost since the beginning and your car doesn't even have to be on to use it. You guys, it's the title of our talk. It's the rearview mirror. And so as I was thinking about this, we use the rearview mirror. You use it so much you don't even know that you use it when you're behind the wheel hundreds of times. We've learned to just glance back really quick to see what's around us, who's coming up behind us before we change lanes, all the things that we use the rearview mirror for. So I started thinking, well, who invented the rearview mirror? It wasn't since the beginning. And believe it or not, there's a woman who is credited for, for finding the rearview mirror. Her name's Dorothy Levin, and she 
was an, a motor enthusiast, it said, in 1909. And she had gotten her mirror out to adjust her lipstick. And when she did, she saw she could see on each side of her car. So she started using it to drive. And then in 1911, there's a guy named Ray Heron, and he was a car manufacturer, and he actually attached it to the windshield. And he had an ulterior motive. He was going to be in the very first Indianapolis 500, and he figured out if he had this mirror, he didn't have to have a spotter telling him where the cars were around him. And he was hoping that not having this extra weight, his car would go faster, he would win the race. He didn't win the race. I'm just going to tell you, he didn't. It was going to be a good end of the story, but he didn't. He didn't win the race, but he did put it up on the windshield, and it became a thing because people were saying, how is this supposed to help us? Because their windshields were little at the time. Y'all think of the cars back in 1911. And they're putting something blocking their view. How in the world is this going to help us? We don't understand. And Ray said, well, here's the key. He said, you just glance back. Because people started spending too much time looking back. They were getting in wrecks. So he started telling them, there's a certain way to use the rearview mirror. You don't spend all your time looking back. You spend your time looking forward. And then you just glance to see what's around you and to remember things. So much like us, right? We need to be careful not to spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror of our lives. We need to be focused on the windshield. We need to be focused on going straight ahead, moving where God has called us to go, and not worried about the things in our past that we feel like might be holding us back or dictating our future. The lessons we've learned, the struggles, the trials, all the things that we've done in our past are important. And I really believe that because of the things we've experienced, we are where we are today. It is who you are today. The house that you grew up in, the school that you went to, all of the things created, the sports that you were in, taught you skills. And maybe you made, probably we all made bad decisions, right? We made some bad decisions along the way, but hopefully we learned from them. And we don't repeat them, and we keep looking forward to what's ahead for us. But today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about and learn from how do we keep looking ahead, looking at the rearview mirror where God has, and remembering what's behind so we can learn from it without spending all of our time there. So we're going to look at a passage in Luke, Luke 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up. It's in your bulletin. We're going to have it on the screens as well. And we're going to talk about a woman. She's known in Scripture as the sinful woman. Can we have a name? So I looked. We don't know her name. Uh, there's some theologians who all kind of think it might be one of the Marys, but there's, somebody else said no, so we're not sure. And then I just wanted a name, and then I felt like God was saying, it's not about the name. It's about what she was known as and that she overcome. And she actually, we're going to look in Scripture, she became a fearless woman because of where she had been and what God had done for her. So word gets out that Jesus is coming to her town. And she hears he's going to be at Simon's house, who was one of the Pharisees, the religious leader of the day. And there were going to be lots of other religious leaders there. And she decides she's going to crash the party. I'm thinking, oh, no, oh, no, this is probably in the best environment for you. They're not going to be very nice to you. You know, maybe she could wait outside until Jesus was coming out. And then she could talk to him and tell him what she needed to tell him. But she decided no. She was going in. And that is what she did. So, 
as she goes in, Jesus is, then their tables, you guys have heard this before, their tables were kind of like coffee tables, and that's what they ate at. So their feet kind of were out the side of them. So she walks in, uninvited, unannounced, she finds Jesus, and she goes over to him. And this is where our story continues. Let's look at verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself. So he's just kind of saying this under his breath. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people, so he's going to go into a parable to try to get Simon to understand he's judging and not showing grace, okay? Two people owed a man, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and they say a denarii was about a day's wage back then, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He's telling him, you're judging a lot. Then verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Not, do you know she came in? Did you know she was here? He's, he's saying, do you see her? Do you see the life she's le led? Do you see the tears, the hurt in her eyes? Do you see what she's been through? And she's trying to do something with her life. Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So there were some ceremonial things they did in the day because it was really sandy and dirty. And they would have a bucket ready for them, wash their feet, and they would anoint their head with oil. And he says, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her. So Jesus looked at her in her eyes, and he said, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So as we look at this passage we're seeing the Pharisees weren't the most loving and gracious people. And we're going to look at a parallel of these two people, the Pharisees and the sinful woman. We're going to look at their lives, what they represented, who they were, and which one really exemplified God. Well, we know the Pharisees were legalistic, and what that means is they cared more about what things looked like on the outside, rules, regulations, those type of things. And they were always judging, but they never, never judged themselves. And they never think that they messed up. So Jesus is pointing out, do you want to be legalistic like them? When you see people, are you judging, oh my gosh, look how they're dressed. Or, or look how they're driving. You never know what's going on in somebody's life, right? But he's also pointing out, 
all the rules and all the regulations, all of that, none of it is going to get you to heaven. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying, you can go to church all you want. You can try to do all the right things all you want. You can pray all you want. You can do all of these things. But if you do not have a relationship with my son, you're not going to get to heaven. And that is what it's going to take to please me. Now, the other hand is our fearless woman, and she was driven by grace. She was greatly forgiven, so she greatly received this grace that Jesus had given her. And Jesus said, be like her. Show others goodness and the grace of God. Show them that they were called out to be a light on this earth and to be different than all of the people around telling them how they should live their life. You know, what I think about this fearless woman, I think... She made a lot of mistakes in her life, just like all of us did. And somehow, I don't know what went on in her life, but somehow she hears the message of Jesus. She wants to change, and she's living in a place where they're not going to let her change. They're not going to let her live down the mistakes that she had made. They're not going to let her change to be who God wants her to be. And that is really a very, very hard place to be. And then she hears Jesus, and she hears him talk about his father, and that he's really not concerned about always saying the right things or praying in such a, a way that you're worried. You have to say 847 words before God will hear you. All the things the Pharisees were saying at the time, Jesus is saying, it's not true. All it's about is belief in me. And it shook her. She had never heard that before. She had never heard that your sins could be forgiven. She had never heard... God loves you no matter what you do. And so this overflow of this emotion that she had for him was because she had never felt loved like this before. And she was so compelled to do something so radical to go into a place that was really putting herself in harm's way to thank Jesus and to tell him what he had done for her. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been so overcome with something like you couldn't contain yourself and you had to go tell somebody, you had to express this love that you had had? That's where she was. And Jesus is saying to you and to me, this is who I want you to be like. Not the religious, legalistic, you're never good enough, but this grace that I love God not because of what he can do for me, because he just loves me. And when you experience that kind of love, it's easy to forgive other people. And it's easy to not judge other people because we have been greatly forgiven and greatly loved. So we give other people the second chance. You know, I don't know what their life was like today. I don't know. They seem to be really hateful or that look on their face. We don't know. what. I'm just going to give them grace because God has given me an a lot of grace, and I want to give that to other people. So maybe you need to hear this today, just like our fearless woman. You need to hear God loves you no matter what. No matter what went on in your past, no matter what you may have done, God loves you and is continually calling you back to himself. He wants us to keep looking ahead, just like she did. She was looking in the windshield of, okay, what's going to be ahead for my life? I'm not going to stay focused on where I was, who I was. I want to be who God wants me to be. I think that's why the windshield 
of our life is a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. We need to remember, we need to see the things that God has brought us through. I'm not saying it doesn't count. I'm just saying don't spend the bulk of your life feeling shame and guilt. None of that's from God. That's all from Satan who wants nothing more than to keep you trapped in who you were so you're not being effective in the kingdom of God. So look ahead, take the risk, move forward. God has a purpose and a destiny for your life. He has you exactly where you are to do something that only you can do. You have a sphere of people, you have a network of people, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. You can influence people that I may never know or couldn't do. And God wants to use you for that. Now, of course, we've all made wrong turns. We've gotten off an exit too early. We've gone the wrong way on a, on a one-way street. All of us have done it. But it's time to leave that behind. God says he forgives us. He wants us to look back, but he doesn't want us to live there. We just have to remember whatever is ahead is greater than what is behind. So, my question for you is, how do you have a windshield mentality? Derek and I were talking about this, and he was saying, that sounds easy, but how are you going to do that? I'm like, well, I got to come up with three points, so let's do that. So, I did. So, here's number one, focus on God's future for you. Spend time asking God what he has ahead for you, what is the will, where he wants you to go, and you move where he wants you to be, and it might be right where you are in wait, but he does have a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Sometimes when we are back in the past and we're remembering awful things, and maybe it's somebody's hurt you, whatever it might be, when we keep our minds focused there, we can't be thinking about the future because you can't think of two things. So it's going to take, take us some time, but it's going to take us a determination to say, okay, I'm going to remember Jeremiah 29, 11. God has a future. I'm not going to, I'm going to forgive, let that go. God says he's going to handle that. And I'm going to keep my eyes straight ahead on what God has for me. Number two, focus on God's forgiveness for you. Instead of beating yourself up for a bad decision or mistake or habit, whatever it might be, focus on what God says about our sin. Not what the Pharisees were saying. Oh, you sinned. God's done with you. That's not what God says. Here's what he says in Psalm 103, 10 through 12. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Scripture says if you ask God for forgiveness, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of all of our sins. This is hard for our human minds because we kind of have a hard time forgetting and forgiving, but God does not. And God says, I'm going to forgive as far as the east is from the west, and I'm not going to keep bringing it back up. So if I'm not going to bring it back up, why do you keep bringing it back up? Just let it go. God's forgiven it. Move on. Look out your windshield and decide, okay, what's next for me? Number three, focus on God's favor for you. Ask God to bless you with his favor and work hard 
to honor and glorify him. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me. And not without results, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So what is God's favor? We all want it, right? I want God's favor. I want to be living in such a way that God says, hey, what she's doing, that's what I'm going to bless. So favor is not more. It's not give me more money. It's not, it might might be favor that he's blessed you to do something else. But really favor is when God is saying, I'm going to make the most of what you have. Like the story when we look in scripture of the five loaves and two fish, that's God's favor. You have enough right here, and I'm going to bless it. And when God blesses it, it's what it is to be enough. Ephesians 3.20, I love the New King James Version. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That is God's favor, and that's what he does for us. He gives favor to each of us as we ask and as we're following in his footsteps, and he wants us to continue and to do something great. And God also has favor on our church. We've seen this specifically with the food pantry. We were faithful in providing a few bags in the back of somebody's suburban at the time. That's how we started. And then as we continued to be faithful, and it's a stretch. We felt like as a church, this was what God had asked us to do. And continually, just crazy things happen. People are like, hey, I work for a warehouse. Could y'all use some extra Pepperidge Farm? We're like, yes. Who doesn't love Pepperidge Farm? So it's, it's really great stuff. And then the food pantry came alongside of us, the North, the Tarrant Area Food Bank. I want to say their name right because they have taken us in. They say we're the gold standard for food pantries. They love what we're doing and they've helped us so much. We couldn't do what all we're doing without them. But this is God's continual favor. We couldn't have dreamed or asked for a lot of the stuff. It's exceedingly abundantly above all that we could have asked or think. So God has given us as the local church the responsibility of ministering to our community. We take it really seriously. We're supposed to advance God's kingdom, be sure that people know the Lord, and we're doing that as well. And every Christian is, is expected to be a part of the local church. You are here because you are to help us grow. You're here because you're bringing things to the table that God is going to use because you're faithful. He's going to bring favor upon it for us. Tony Evans reminds us that we're not meant to sit, soak, and sour. To come into church, to sit here and go, oh, that was a great service. Um, I'm going to soak it all up. He's saying, no, we're meant to serve. Come serve in this church. Be a part of it. We have so many places of need. Give, to give of your finances. That's what helps us fund all of this. We're not supported by a main line denomination. We're supported by you, by everybody who comes in this room and those of you online who give to our church. That's how we're able to continue to do this. So as members of our church, as attenders of our church, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be faithful to our church. I was talking to um, a girl this last week, and she was saying, times are hard, Mary. I'm like, I know. She's like, gas is double, although I saw it for $3.55 today, y'all, at Walmart. 
just shout out there. It's exciting. Um, our electricity has doubled, doubled, right? Because of the gas is doubling, so the electricity doubles. Everything seems to be going up, and we, our, our income has not gone up and doubled this much, and we don't know how we're going to make it. And she said, but Mary, I'm going to tell you, we said we're not going to quit giving to the church. We are where we are today. We're still married because of this church. Our kids are involved. Um, we've, we've just made some major changes in our life, and it's because of this church. And she said, and I'm going to tell you, I don't know how at the end of the week we have enough money. But somehow, some money comes we didn't even know about. A check came in the mail. We overpaid on our mortgage we didn't know about, and some money came. She's like, it's working. And that is God's favor. That is when you're right in line doing what he wants you to do, that he will continue to bless you in ways exceedingly, abundantly, above anything that you would have thought to ask or to think. So in closing, I have a question for you. Is something holding you back from moving forward to the future that God has for you? Remember to stop looking in the rearview mirror. Don't worry about what's behind. It's done. Move on. But what does God have ahead for you? And is it scary? Because usually it is. Usually it's a little bit, I don't, God, I don't really think I have that gift to do that. Or I don't really know why you're calling me to do that. God equips the call. And he will give you what you need. I think back on Moses. Do you remember? God called Moses, hey, I want you to be the speaker for these people. And Moses said, oh, no, not me. My brother Aaron, he is a master with the mic. Give it to him. And God said, "Mm -mm, it's you, Moses. I want it to be you. And God equipped him, and he did some amazing things. He had some sketchy past that he didn't think would qualify for him, but he did it. And God really used him and blessed him in the lives of the Israelites. As Derek and I were finishing with our tour that day in Scotland, something really interesting happened. She came out, and she said, okay, I'm going to let the eagle out we've been waiting for this whole time. They're so beautiful, aren't they? And she let the eagle out, and the eagle soared. And it soared in these huge circles above our head. And we were watching, and we were watching, and she was telling us some facts about these amazing creatures. And she had raised this one from a baby. They call it an eaglet. And she had had it for, I think, four years, and she knew everything about this eagle. And she loved this eagle. So she got her whistle out, and she put her big glove on, and she said, he really loves this certain meat. She knew what it was, and she put it in her hand, and she blew her whistle, and he didn't come. And she kept circling and circling for a few minutes. She's like, well, maybe he needs to get some energy out, you know, all the things we do for making excuses for things. And then she started getting worried that he might go off somewhere. She's like, he's never, he has never not done this before. So she calls for backup, and there's another trainer, and, and she said, hey, will you come out and, and, and drive up on the side and see if there's something weird going on? Because these animals can see things for miles, and if anything's different, it startles them a little bit. So the other trainer went to the, the farm next door, and she said, oh, you're not going to believe, but they have a scarecrow out there. And for some reason, it's just got her a little bit off. So they got the scarecrow and put it in a car. And she's watching the eagle go. 
So she gets her glove back out and she puts her glove back on and she whistles and that eagle looks straight at her. And she came. And she landed right on her arm. And she knew what we know about God. God knows everything about us. He's never going to put us in harm's way. He has the best for us, just like we do our kids. We may discipline. We may push out a little bit. But we're never going to give them anything that would hurt them. And God is the same for you and me. And we have to be fearless, just like that eagle. I'm sure even though the scarecrow was gone, it was a little unnerving. But she kept her focus, and she's anchored to that trainer who has never let her down. And that's what God's called for me and you to do. God's never let us down. We've let ourselves down. We've followed things that weren't of God, right? But God has never let us down. So my challenge for you today is to be praying about what is God asking you to do? What does he want you to do? What can you do that's going to bring God glory, that's going to draw people to him? We have a, a really hurting world out there right now, and we want to be a bright light, just like that fearless woman was. She did things a little bit differently than the religious people, and which one at the end of the day attracts people, right? It's the people who love greatly. That's who attracts the most people. So be fearful, trust, and I'm going to be praying for each of you that God is going to show you great favor, and he's going to guide you in a path that's going to be exceedingly, abundantly above anything that you could have asked or thought. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you for each person here and online who is trying so hard, the best that they can, to honor you, to glorify you, to know you. God, would you just give them extra dose of favor? Would you help them stay close, tethered to you, anchored to you, that every step that they make glorifies you, brings you such joy by the life that they live, and that those around watching them will be saying, I, I don't know where they get the faith. I don't know why they seem to be happy and joyful. I don't know how they forgive when they have been so wronged, would their lives matter today, Lord? That's what we all want, to be a life that made a difference in this world that we live, Lord. And if there's anybody here who has not accepted you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they will do that right now. It's not about legalism. It's not about coming to church. It's not about doing things. It's about knowing a Savior. It's about a relationship, Lord. And I just pray right now. In the quietness of themselves, they'll say, Lord, I want you. I want you in my heart. Please come. I believe in Jesus, and I believe in what he did on that cross. And I want to be forever with you in eternity. It's the best decision we can make, Lord. Help us to continue to honor you. We love you, Lord. And I just continue to pray favor and blessings on this church. So many people sacrifice so much time and talents, and energy, and treasures, Lord, to honor you. And I pray your continual favor that our church will be a bright light to all of those coming that come here every weekend for food, for needing things, Lord, that they leave with you. They leave with blessings and prayers that their life 
could be just better than it is, Lord. And I pray for Pastor Bill. We're so honored to get to serve under such an amazing man that keeps pointing us to you. Lord, I pray for him as he continues to lead this church, to lead our staff, to lead our congregation. Lord, we're thankful just for the man of integrity that he is, that you would do extra favor on him as well. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.